This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. I will be damned if the same politicians who refused to act then are going to try to come back today. The real content of any kind of revolutionary thrust lies in the, in, in the principles and the goals that you're striving for. When the powerful use their position to bully others, we all lose. A system of justice will be the richer for diversity of background and experience. <laughs> and correction! Hello, everybody. It's me, Miss Cracker. I'm here with my co-pilot, Caitlin, and it's time for She's a Woman! It's a podcast for every human being who looks into the mirror and says, she's a woman, and for the people who love them. Every week, especially now that we're on a little break from tour, Mm -hmm. literally, like one, two weeks... We talk to incredible women of all kinds from all walks of life and invite them to share their stories with you, our incredible listeners. And that's exactly what we're going to do today. Craitlin, we are waiting for our Dunkin' and Donuts coffee. Dunkin'. <laughs> Dunkin', what do you call it? Dunkin' and Donuts. donuts. Dunkin' and Donuts. It's like Baskin and Robbins and Dunkin' and Donuts. Dunkin' and Donuts. Uh. We're waiting for our Dunkin' Donuts coffee, which has been taking half an hour to get here. We're in the middle of the Bronx again. And uh, listen, we're kind of at a strange place with our podcast where for like a year we were posting every single week a new podcast and now we're on tour all the time and we don't have the space or the quiet or the focus or the ability or the time brain capacity brain capacity to do podcasts like we used to and I don't know I want to do a full 52 episodes of this podcast because I want to make this is my dream okay a lot of my friends have daughters okay and I really want to make a year-long library of incredible women for them to listen to as they're growing up so they can be like Auntie Cracker really made something <laughs> incredible. That's really nice. For us. And I like like it's been sticking in my head as yeah. a goal. And if my sister ever has a daughter, I would want a library. And even for her son, Fenwick, he should right, have a right. library yeah, of yeah. incredible women to listen to. So, I don't know. That's one of my goals. And I just kind of wanted to know, before we give up the ghost on this one, what's something that you would love to have happen on our podcast? The end goal of this podcast, for me, would be to have Star Michelle Geller as a guest so that I could uh, talk to her. Absolutely. That's the goal. That's Buffy my, the Vampire yeah, Slayer. That is my goal. I'm like, I feel like she's like very like four degrees of separation away or something. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But uh, I've tried reaching out, and I don't know if it's ever going to happen. But that would be the ultimate goal. Obviously, I would like to have Nicole Kidman yeah. on the podcast. I think that would be really amazing. And there was also, I can't remember her name, but there was a woman who held a role similar to Dr. Fauci's role that we wanted to talk to because mm-hmm. she basically said, hold to what you believe in when it comes to the health of the community and 
told people not to cooperate with an administration that was telling people to cut corners on health for everyone. So I'd really love to talk to her. That would be a big dream, too. And our guest this week and is a, a big dream of that's yours, why, too. It's that's, a nice, yeah. nice segue. That's kind of why I wanted to talk about big dreams today, because one of our big dreams for this podcast is coming true. We're having yeah. someone very special to me. So we're going to get to that in a minute. I want to dive right into our weekly interview, Caitlin. But as you know, first I have a little treat for you. Okay. Every week we do a small segment called Here's the Good News, where we share positive stories torn from the headlines. The idea is that they'll bring you, our listeners, a little hope during these difficult times. And this week, our news is all about fungus brains. Fungus brains? <laughs> yeah. Okay, all right. And I'm not talking about my own rotted gray matter, Caitlin. <laughs> You are a fungus brain. I am a fungus brain. <laughs> calm okay. down, calm down. <laughs> I'm talking about mushrooms, Caitlin. Here's Ugh. the good news. I know you hate mushrooms. I hate mushrooms. But don't think about them as food. Think of them as little creatures. Okay, okay, okay. Here's the good news. Scientists are discovering. We are eat- When you eat a mushroom, you're eating fungus. I just want to let that sit there. Yeah. I-, I love when you go to an Italian restaurant <laughs> and it's like... Uh, linguine al fungi. I'm like, oh my god, it's literally fungus! <laughs> okay, anyway, back back on track. A note from the podcast. We just received our iced coffees <laughs> and are able to charge forward into this important news. About brain fungus. About brain fungus. Fungus brains. Fungus brains. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, here's the good news. Scientists are discovering that mushrooms may have thoughts, even words... That they've passed back and forth to each other. If you're skeptical, let me explain. Okay, so all mushrooms have a little network of roots that connect them together into communities. Well, research has shown that electrical signals run along these little filaments from mushroom to mushroom in tiny electrical waves that look exactly like the waves that make up human thoughts. Wow, and and y'all be out there eating them. Eating them. Yeah. I we're having conversations and oh my we're, God. we're munching on them. So let me give you an example. A little filament, a little root touches a piece of rotting wood. That's really good food for a mushroom. So that little root sends little blips of electricity to other mushrooms, signaling that there's some delicious food. Oh, wow. It sends a certain type of electrical blip that scientists can recognize as the signal for rotten wood, just the same way they can recognize a word in human brain waves. Uh-huh, okay. So scientists are saying if the same wave in the same shape keeps happening in response to the same situation, that's essentially a word. There's no mouth or anything, no sound, but it's language. Isn't that I, crazy? I totally believe it, yeah. Isn't it wild? Yeah. So they, they like send a certain signal, a, a, like a certain wavelength that means... D- delicious piece of wood for us to munch on. So even more fascinating, these mushrooms may be able to use these signals to talk to trees, Caitlin. <laughs> to trees! <laughs> I believe that all you've taught me about trees and how they, like, have little lives. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I feel like it's totally possible. Yeah. So I think that it's very important to, if you believe in being vegetarian, to be vegetarian. But also remember that no matter what you consume, you should consume it responsibly because they're all living things. They have little lives. 
Right. It makes it complicated lives. for vegans, you yeah. know, because plants have thoughts and brains and words and exactly. animals have thoughts and brains and yeah. words. And little, you know? little watery eyes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's very complicated. Yeah. Anyway, why is this good news? Well, I think it's good news because we're slowly discovering how life, all life, down to fungi, down to mushrooms, is complex, beautiful, and mysterious. And the more discoveries we make like this, the more likely we are to respect the environment around us. Who wants to murder mushrooms and trees? And the more we respect the environment around us, the more likely we are to survive on this stupid planet that we're messing up. And... Help our climate and stuff. Right. Oh, absolutely. So anyway, Caitlin, I am convinced now to go on your side of things. I feel like I'm not going to eat any mushrooms because they're (laughs) they're little guys. I know. It's one of two two very different uh, reasons (laughs) for not eating them. But I feel like you know, progress is progress. Yeah, exactly. What 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 if you find out that like tomatoes? Oh, if I find out that tomatoes have thoughts and complicated feelings, I'm still going to murder them. Oh, no. <laughs> I love to- tomatoes too much. <laughs> Even if a tomato wrote a really great book called Do I Not Bleed? Oh. You know, I- <laughs> I'd be like, fuck you, tomato. You're going in my mouth. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Do I not bleed? <laughs> uh. Oh, this is getting real loopy. <laughs> I know. All right. Okay. So let's take a break before we lose our minds. Okay. Okay, we're back. Iced coffee in hand. Now, before we continue, let me say this. If you enjoy your time with us today, make sure to subscribe. Why not subscribe? (laughs) 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 Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. We... Love reviews. We love them. I hope we have a new one. I, we do, I think we do have okay. a new one. I hope we have a new one to read because it always makes me feel like people are listening to us, yeah. you know? <laughs> so we love reviews so much. We're going to read some of our favorite reviews at the end of the show. But now it's time for us to do our interview. And I'm so excited about our guest today, Craitlin. Yeah, who can, is it? Can, our guest today is Margaret Cho. Okay. Not like... <laughs> Some Margaret show, the Margaret show, mm-hmm. you know? Are you going to ask her about Drop Dead Diva? Oh, my God. I, <laughs> I didn't even think to ask her about Drop Dead Diva. I don't know what there is to ask besides... Be like, how, how was that? Was that the greatest did, show of all time? How did it feel to be involved in the greatest television <laughs> show of all time? Everyone, go watch Drop Dead Diva. Go watch Drop Dead Diva. <laughs> I don't want to give too much away, but a supermodel finds herself in the body of a curvy lawyer after a horrible accident happens. Genius. And what could go wrong from there? Mm -hmm. That's that's just... And it has Margaret Cho. And it has Margaret Cho, so I don't know what you're waiting for. (laughs) Turn off this podcast, (laughs) unsubscribe, and go watch Drop That Diva. (laughs) But anyway, I don't know if you remember how this came about, but we were talking to our friend Gabriel Gastelum, the photographer... I was like, oh my God, I love Margaret Cho so much. She's so amazing. She's one of my main inspirations for comedy. She taught me so much about comedic timing and everything. He's like, you should get in contact with her and have her on your podcast. And I was like, how would we even do that? (laughs) And he said... Just DM her on Instagram. That's right. And that's what we did. Yeah, and she responded basically immediately. And she was so down for it. She was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. Yeah, (laughs) very cool. So in case you don't know... For the first time, I'm writing a bio completely off the top of my head because I know so much about her and she's a hero for my family. But 
Our guest, Margaret Cho, is a comedian, activist, actress, and so much more. She has helped create groundbreaking television shows such as All American Girl and nine notorious comedy specials. She has uplifted people who feel like misfits, including queer people like me and women and so many other groups of people. But most importantly, she can now put on her resume that she has been a guest on the She's a Woman <laughs> podcast. Hello. Our great re- groundbreaking podcast. Yeah. yeah so... <laughs> Uh, everybody, I can't wait to talk to her about what she's up to now and what she dreams of doing next. Margaret Cho, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to She's a Woman. Thank you. I just want to start with a few questions, the same three questions that we ask all of our guests at the very beginning. Where are you? How are you? And what are you doing right now? I'm um, in my home in Los Angeles. I just finished attending to my peat bogs. I have peat bogs out. I grow carnivorous plants. So I have quite a few uh, Saracenia, which are the kind of pitchery plants that like catch bugs inside. I have several cultivars of Venus flytrap, which I accidentally set off some traps, which sort of makes me panic. Yeah. Yeah. Because they only have a few times they can close. Yeah, each trap, a trap is like a leaf. So a trap isn't necessarily the whole plant. They have many, many traps and they'll grow new traps, but it's better to not set them off because the plant uses a lot of energy. And it really freaks me out when they close because it's a very science fiction thing that happens because it's like a very, it's like they close really fast. It's like you're not used to seeing plants move like that. So I set off a trap, but I'm kind of, I was okay. I fed them some seaweed fertilizer. There's lots of bugs in there getting eaten. Yeah. And um, I'm doing great other than setting off a trap, but you know, that happens. So you're a plant mom. I am a plant mom, but a fairly new plant mom. But these carnivorous plants are really on the borderline between plant and a pet. Yeah. Because they do have sort of, not not high maintenance, but they do require specialized care and they eat uh, living things. So it's quite um, an interesting hobby. I also have um, quite, I have a strawberry, uh, a variety, varietal garden, and then I have a mango tree. Not doing great. <laughs> mango, she's, she's so over me. And then she's the, suffering, um, yeah. She's suffering. Some pineapples that are like, girl, please. Are you think you're in Hawaii? You thought you were in Hawaii. <laughs> Obviously not. I like Margaret. I like that you have chosen all of the most high maintenance creatures, <laughs> high maintenance plants so in your life. Drama. You've really chosen. To, is this is this indicative of the kind of relationships that you choose in your life as well? Are we taking up here into your into your personal world with these plants? It's the drama. Well, I use, so like what I do is I have 28 bird feeders also. So when I uh, water the plants, I wash all the bird shit off of the deck on into the plants. So the the plants are sort of getting fertilized with the bird shit and I'm not wasting water. Right. It's a whole system that I have in place. And and then all of the, um, all of this is to serve my cats and dog who watch all the birds like all day long. So it's like their entertainment. And so it's like, I've created this sort of like ecosystem where I never have to um, 
do anything except everything. <laughs> yeah. It's a self-sustaining system. And by self, you mean by you sustain. By system. me, yeah. I'm creating yeah. drama. The birds cause drama, but the birds shit. And then it causes drama with the plants. The plants yeah. grow, causes drama with me. Um, the shit and the birds and the cats attract insects, which feed the carnivorous plants, which eat the uh, pests off of the vegetable and fruit plants. Did you get into all this during the pandemic or has this been? Yeah, it's a very pandemic. It's a very pandemic um, farm. Yeah. He's made a drama farm. Yeah. From the pandemic. And all of it gives me um, allergies. So it's really. Uh, it's like, you know, it's created a lot of drama for my nose all yeah. together. Wait, so I I, I want to ask about this your little home world because this has been one of the issues that we talk about on this podcast a little bit you're a comedian you're a performer you're an actress you depend on audiences and performance in so many ways what was it like for you to be stuck in your little drama world alone during the pandemic did you go crazy? It was odd it was really odd because so being so used to being on the road, I had not been off the road for 30 years. Yeah. So it was right. very strange. And so to be in a house that I had never truly lived in, mm. only like kind of been here to like change out bags. Yeah. On weekends, um, after weekends, you know, our life, it's like you get home on Sunday to Wednesday, pretty much. Right. And then you're on yeah. the road again, or unless it's like a heavy season where you're out all summer. Yeah. Or all winter, you know, so it's a it's about like truly like moving into my house, which I've been here for 20 years, but I've never truly, truly lived here. So yeah. it's that creation of a home, which I really loved. And so. In a sense, it was a trade off of like, OK, well, I now realize that I've been a very nomadic person all this time. And now it's like trying to put down a sense of like, well, if I had a home, what would it actually look like? Yeah. And this is what it is. You have to realize a new part of yourself, invent a new part yeah. of yourself in a way. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, for me, like uh, my apartment in New York is always just where I kept my boyfriends. Um, and mm -hmm. <laughs> now mm -hmm. I was like, when I came back to it, I was suddenly like, first of all, I don't think you can be here. <laughs> Second yeah. of all, um, I need plants. Uh, and third mm -hmm. of all, what do I do? Because if you're a person that likes your job a lot or is really mm -hmm. involved in your job, at least like you don't have many hobbies um, to just. Well, your art is your everything. Yeah, that's right. So I had to invent a side of my like I was like, if I had hobbies, what would they be? I had to figure that out as well. Yeah. Do you, you love plants? I love you plants. Have plants. I have a lot of plants. Aloe what plants. do you what do you you know what? I just do you kill any? I just killed a calathea. I ruthlessly actually, murdered this Calathea. I murdered a peace lily on my last <gasps> tour. Yes, I just did a yes. Canadian tour. I was gone for two weeks. I was like, she'll be fine. I came back. Lily was not fine. Um, yeah. But, you know, neither am I. We all move on. So I she went she went to the trash and uh, the, the strongest survived. OK. And so now, like you are having to think about all this stuff because you're, I see from your calendar that you're touring constantly again. Yes. And I want to yes. know 
what does that, what does that feel like for you? Is it bittersweet? Is it just sweet? What's it like? It's great. It's really great because I also have a wonderful, you find out that your cat sitters, uh, pet sitters are great plant sitters. Yeah. Yeah. So I realized that, oh, I could actually have, instead of just leaving, and since I have cats here and they're very well cared for, they have um, one mid-century catio, one Spanish modern catio. They have like so many spaces in the house and they don't really travel well. My dog travels great. So my uh, pet sitters come and they sometimes will live here and they'll take care of the the plants. And so then I, when I return, I feel a sense of like, oh, I'm like really coming home to a full house, which is really joyful. Yeah. That's really joyful. All right. Yeah. So I want to do my favorite part of each episode right now, which is to press rewind a little bit and sort of talk about where Margaret Cho comes from and what your story is. So what I wanted to ask, um, you grew up in San Francisco around all kinds of people, including, as you say, old hippies, ex-druggies, burnouts, drag queens, who are sometimes ex-druggies and burnouts. And you, I remember uh, from your first special that I heard when I was first getting to know you, you said um, that the smell of balls and pantyhose brings you back to childhood. Yes. <laughs> um, so a lot of people don't get to grow up in an environment like that. I wanted to talk about how San Francisco and that world shaped you when you were young. I think it really was a great thing to see what gay life was like before AIDS. Oh, amazing. That was a yeah. really amazing thing um, because you saw like this period of time. My parents bought this bookstore in um, San Francisco that was like a gay bookstore that um, had a lot of events and it had um, a lot of gay bars on the street. So it was Polk Street was like this crazy gay neighborhood in the 70s. And it was the one that rivaled the Castro. The Castro was really um, very uh, uh, it, it was very lively, mm-hmm. but. Polk Street was really for the men, like it was for the dudes, like it was for everybody walking around was like, choose your fighter, cowboy, leather daddy, construction worker. It was very uh, choose choose your fighter drag. (laughs) And everybody was like hooking up in the street. It was so um, immersive and enchanted and to be a young girl in there and to see all these men there was something very spectacular and alive and and very um it it was really tremendous like it was not only normal to be gay it was better to be gay and um so you saw like drag shows happen at night and i was really young i was probably like seven or eight years old and i went to my first gay pride in 1978 yeah So you saw uh, this culture that was so exciting, but you didn't see any of it on television. You didn't see any of it in the movies, but you just saw it so alive out in the street. And then, um, you know, we, um, of course, survived the trauma of our first pandemic, which was AIDS. And then to see what the community rose up out of the devastation 
yeah. was really powerful. So the re- the resurgence of life and the possibility of that is really the the lesson and that you can survive anything, um, which is what I want to tell that Calathea. Yeah. You yeah. can survive even me as a, a plant mother. But <laughs> do you feel like you carried? Do you feel like you've carried that lesson into your own life because yeah. you have you have had moments where you've had to face really terrible challenges and yes. do you look back on that survival? Yeah, can you talk about that a little? Yeah, I think that like my biggest problems in uh, life have felt very devastating, whether that is um, my own self-destruction, my own career failures, my own um, difficulties, my own abuse, my own struggles, like all of those, I've been able to rise above more triumphant in a better space. Um, Okay. So I think that that's like a real lesson, like that you know, resilience is the, the most amazing thing that we discover about ourselves in aging. And that yeah. so much of our culture is like anti-aging and anti-getting um, older, wanting to burn out rather than fade away. But what, what about just um, being able to uh, be resilient, you know, in the face yeah. of all that? That to me is, is the best. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's something that we talk about on this podcast a little bit too, ageism. And also one of the metaphors that I always go through with drag is that when you pull a wig out of a bag, you can't put that thing on your head and go out into the world with it. It's not ready. It's all shiny and flat and perfect and new in order for you to style a wig. You really have to get in there with the brush and ruin it. And then that's what makes it fluffy is that process of like scraping it and fluffing it and then shaping it. So I I think about that with people and with myself, honestly, like the, the rough stuff that I've been through is what gives me the, whatever beauty I have is those experiences. You know what I mean? Right. It gives us interest and it gives us value is what we've been through. And I think that's, Really, you know, like that is the joy of living is to recognize that pain gives us dimension. Yeah. Okay. So I want to know, I know that you started actually doing comedy so young, but I wonder if there's a moment where you look back where you kind of had that, aha, I'm funny. I don't think I have. I don't think so. Like I've, I've never had the defining moment and I still sort of. Don't know. All I know is that it's like it's always felt right. You know, that going towards comedy, going towards an entertainment industry profession always felt like the right choice when that you're faced with a million like choices. You're like, not that, that just not that, not that. But this is this. This is like it. You know, this is always the one that's felt right. That's always felt um, not effortless, but worth the effort. Worth the effort. Okay. That's a really good lesson. Not effortless, but worth the effort. And you launched a career at like 14 years old when you won a comedy contest uh, for, to open for Jerry Seinfeld in the early nineties. Can you talk about like how you got, how you decided to apply for that contest and what it meant? Well, I had been doing comedy for a while before then. And then I lied my way into a comedy 
contest for college students and I wasn't in school, but I ended up um, doing really well in it. And then um, one of the prizes was to open for Jerry Seinfeld. And then he told me that I should pursue a career in comedy and that I would do well in it. And um, what was your material at 14? Like, (laughs) well, it was similar to what it is now. It was really just about being Asian American, being a woman in comedy, being a young woman in comedy. I still feel like a young woman in comedy and being, uh, or just being out of place, which I think is really, um, the, uh, essence of what I, what I do. Um, as a comedian. So it it was just sort of, I I haven't really changed all that much. I mean, the the details are different, but the basic feeling is the same, I think. Yeah. Did you, okay. So you launched into this pretty fast paced career. And I wonder how you felt as far as did it feel like it could all disappear at any moment? And it was this fragile, delicate thing or did it feel like you were launching a solid career, something that you could that you felt like you could lean on? I, I deal with a lot of anxiety about being a performer. That's why I ask. And I always wonder how other performers feel. Do you feel like it's thin ice or do you feel solid with it? I don't know. I mean, I think it's both. I think you're yeah. always sort of managing both, um, especially in comedy, because you have sort of new sort of treacherous avenues, uh, whether that's sort of like the people, I people get really freaked out about the idea of being canceled. Oh, you know, right. Like yeah. that, oh, that's a God, whole yes. new like kind of thing of uh, what is that, you know, what does that do to the art factor? Like mm. how spontaneous can you be if you're like worried about that? But then is it um, something that, uh, is treacherous really. Is that the thin ice part or is it like just momentary failures of jokes not working or is it um, something, you know, it's a kind of like the anxieties that we create um, around ourselves in our field almost um, don't do any service to the art of it or they can't, maybe (laughs) they do, maybe they can because we can talk about those anxieties and create art out of that. So I think everything is usable. I think everything is possible. I mean, if like Louis C.K. can win the Grammy for best comedy. (laughs) I think we're okay. Thank you, Margaret. I'm putting, I'm, I'm writing that down above my refrigerator. So that I can look in the morning. Yeah. You know, if you could like, uh, you, you you could sort of like think, well, I think people are pretty resilient if they're like able to come back from something like that. So, yeah, you know, I mean, I don't know. I think it's I think it's really about um, finding a safe place within ourselves where we're not on the nice. Like, right. you don't have to be you don't have to be afraid of the way that you're perceived or what you're doing if your intentions are pure and we just want to make people laugh. I think that's that's pure enough. Right. Yeah. So at the very beginning, and you talk about this in your comedy a little bit, um, not a little bit, a lot, like what do you, what did the people around you think about you launching this kind of career? What did your parents think? And I, I asked this for our young listeners who might be trying to do things that are 
um, non-traditional and oh yeah they were yeah yeah they were scared they really didn't understand and they didn't understand what I was doing but I was also very secretive of my my life but then they also could they're also to blame in a way because they put me in an environment with um very forward-thinking queer people who were getting full body tattoos in the 70s yeah and getting body piercings in the 70s having um uh, polyamorous relationships in the seventies, mm-hmm. very publicly yeah. in my face, in our, on our refrigerator, we had a photograph of my dad's favorite employee who is full body tattooed. He's like naked and on the beach. And my dad had that on the refrigerator. So that's yeah. like our, and my mom would open it, the refrigerator to drink deer blood out of a skippy jar she would keep deer blood in a skippy jar in there. So it's like, it's your fault for yeah. your Don't be funny. Don't be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I'm going to have to tell jokes about it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to drink deer blood out of a skippy <laughs> jar where there's like a, a, a naked tattooed man on the refrigerator. So it's like, you're the one that lit. Like I grew up in a weirdo household. Like how, why didn't you think I was going to be a weirdo and have a weirdo career? So. I think it's just like um, they accept that now, you know, my parents are very happy for my success and very proud. And really it's given their uh, life a lot of excitement. Yeah, Um, of course. You know, so it's hard to even think back of a short period when they were really insecure about it, but it's also people have to remember, like it's your life. You don't have to uh, live your life for other people's expectations or encouragement or endorsement. You don't have to have anybody's approval. Okay. I want to talk shop a little bit mm-hmm. now um, because I want to know about your creative process. You've been doing this. You've created like nine specials. And for me, I use the like old Joan Rivers method. Whenever I say something like at dinner or on the mic that makes people laugh, I'm like, I put that on a note card and then I put those in the categories that they're like, oh, that's okay, great. here's relationship jokes. I wonder what's your process like? Does, is there a notebook? Is it all in your head? Is, is it just going to the two comedy clubs and uh, seeing what bombs and doesn't and, re- and just remembering the ones that, is there a process or is it madness? It's all of that's it. It's all of it. Yeah. It's all of it. I mean, it's organized and disorganized. It's like, mm-hmm. um, you know, I have a lot of different ways of recording things. I have a notebook by my bed and then I have um, different devices with notes on them. I have lots of like notebooks all over. I have like different sorts of journals and everything there at any place I would sit. Yeah. And there's stuff that I can write on. Um, I save everything because I'll use it and something, um, right. whatever it is. And it could be years later. Yeah. And I'll use it. So it's like, you know, your mind is rich with um, like things that it's like things that will be creative. And, and, you know, so your creative life is um, worthy of attention. You know, that's a very important part of my existence. And my creativity is channeled into every aspect of my existence. And so I'm very much about cultivating that, you know, creating that and making it, making it a real channel in my existence. I I always feel like I get questions from people who want to do comedy 
or are going to have to because they're other drag queens and they're going to be forced in some situation where they have to do comedy. Like, they're like, how do you come up with it? I was like, I definitely don't come up with it by sitting down one day and writing it out. It definitely Mm -hmm. is something that I'm happens little scraps at a time because I really like it all the time. And then every time you make someone smile, just remember that you're like, Oh, that got people at dinner, you know, or that got the audience. And, and then you gather them all up and because you you have that, you have that. Um, It's, it's these interactions, but it's also these kinds of observances and just like, being aware of it is because it's going to happen naturally. So it's the awareness that is the tool. It's like, yeah. oh, if your awareness is there to capture it, then that's all you need. Um, yeah, that, yeah. Turn it yeah, on. It's all that. Yeah, that's all it yeah. is. Mm-hmm. Now, I wonder, having created such a number of specials, how it feels after you've written them, because as my mom is a painter and she talks about artistic postpartum depression, if she's painted something that's really amazing, she feels like she can't, she's like never going to do another painting. How can she do you get that after you finish filming something or you feel like you've completed a project like that? Oh, I don't know. I don't really have that. Um, because I think that like, whenever you're done with a special you still have to use some of the ideas like to, to write a new one. Cause what you do is you, you use like sort of old material to support new material. Yeah. So like you'll use those as kind of structures to place new material on, like to keep growing. So it's, it's right. really just about like um, re reusing things and then you can let it all go. So it's never, I never start from scratch anything. Right. Yeah. Like it's like bread baking, which I'm a baker too. I break, I, ba- I, I sort of like stopped that for a little bit because I was getting um, too many heels of bread. Yeah. So I had to like I hold for back, but I, yeah. you know, yeah, for the birds. But uh, you have to like um, use sourdough starter. Mm-hmm. And like you, it's like basically you just keep on like feeding it. And the, but you need that old star- starter to support the new starter. Yeah. And it just grows. And so, you know, that's what it is. It's like you just put in um, new on top of the old and then it, it it's somehow starts to grow in itself. So it's just like I don't really have that sense of I guess it's not like painting in that you you don't need to start a painting. You do have to actually start on a blank canvas. Yeah. But with somebody like stand up comedy, it's it's a little bit different. You, you don't necessarily need to have to. And also, I guess as you're talking, I was thinking about how you discussed your material as a 14 year old. You're like, listen, I had a perspective and that's my perspective. I -hmm. was building it then. It's still my perspective now. So you're not reinventing the wheel every time you Mm -mm. have found your voice and your position and your perspective and you're speaking from there. So that right right away is, is that little structure that you can hang stories and, and jokes off of. Yes. Like every, um, also, every joke has the same kind of, uh, I think my philosophy in comedy is every comedian has a question that they're answering or the, a sort of like essential message um, in the DNA of every joke that they, that they tell is that the DNA is, for mine is, I'm not supposed to be here, but I am. And yeah. so every joke contains the idea of that. So somebody like Jerry Seinfeld, his basic joke is, is it me? 
And every joke that he tells, you can find that question in. So the the job of the comedian is to sort of like figure out what your essential joke is. And um, so and then there's not that many of them. Um, Right. I think mine is like, am I the worst? Right. So it's like (laughs) the worst one. (laughs) It's like that's a sort of that's a sort of like point of view that everything is kind of contingent on answering that. Right. And. Um, so then it makes it pretty easy because your your then your job is through a career is answering that. And it could it's like Joan Rivers is. Can we talk? Yeah, right. It's a very uh, elemental idea of who we are as an artist. And I mean, I think yeah. it's not just comedy. It's every artist is like that. What I admire about your perspective in comedy is that you usually explore the world by making fun of yourself mm-hmm. and there's not you don't turn that critical eye on other people in the same way you don't make fun of other people does that make mm-hmm. sense if you're going to yeah, make yeah. fun of other people you do it by looking at yourself and i think that's such a loving way and a way to do comedy today because yeah. Like we already have enough mocking other people. Yeah. Well, thank you. You Thank you. I think it's good. I think it's good, but it's also like, um, to me, it's the way that I would joke anyway. Like I'm, I'm not somebody who like, uh, enjoys a sort of attacking comedian because I feel like that seems insecure to me. Like when I see that, yeah. Yeah. Like if somebody is very like, corrosive or attacking comedian that seems like you're coming from a place of like real fear like and i don't want to be perceived as that yeah even though i may have fear i would just rather be vulnerable because i think vulnerable is more powerful actually i think if you're a vulnerable comedian that makes you essentially the most powerful and then it becomes very star wars then you're really yeah. like plugged into the force, you know? Right. <laughs> okay. So there's this interesting story about you and Seinfeld and how you had a night where you bombed. I think it was New Jersey uh, yeah. doing a set. And then yeah. you and Seinfeld teamed up to get the venue, the audience back together. And you had another chance. Yes. I wonder if you want, if you could talk about bombing because in comedy, I think bombing is the most important thing that you can do because it raises the stakes and keeps you interested every time you do a set. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I walk out on stage, I'm like, I'm interested in tonight because I know there's no guarantee. Um, right. And also, I think it's one of the most important things you can do in life is like fail miserably at what you're good at yeah. a couple of times. Yeah. So I was wondering if you could yeah. talk about bombing and how it shapes you. Well, I think that like also will bomb within great sets. You know, like I'll bomb like within the structure of even like a longer joke, like I'll bomb do these mini bombs in between, like things don't work Yeah, within it, but it's okay because I can keep trying. Yeah. So um, it's more like um, when you have, when you do really poorly and then you have an opportunity to go back, like with Seinfeld, like what we did with comedians and cars getting coffee, like we had an opportunity to actually go back and ask what what even was that about? Like what happened? Sometimes it's just a, a bunch of things going on. 
but I learn more from bombing than I do from killing in a sense. And then also like if you see comedians that kind of get into a pattern of doing really well all the time, they don't uh, grow. Right. So bombing is essentially um, a way where you just keep on trying, like you're still trying things, you're trying new Mm -hmm. ideas and that you may not be comfortable with the audience might not be comfortable with, but you're still going to try. And I think it's, effective like it helps you to grow into a better performer yeah but uh, people are really afraid to and it's a scary thing it's like not pleasant but it can be really like effective if you just keep trying within the structures of like okay well i know these jokes work but then these may not and it's okay if they don't you're like that one wasn't even supposed to be funny Uh, on next next one here we go yeah (laughs) it's almost like i was just commenting but you know like what my the goal is for every every performance is like I try to cram as many jokes as possible. That's like what I, my favorite thing is when people have a lot of jokes. Yeah, I want to have a lot of jokes. And so when you can have a lot of jokes, some things like may not be funny to everyone, yeah. but they're good to you. So it's like it's hard to figure that out, but you can only just keep trying. I want to talk briefly about All American Girl, your mm-hmm. groundbreaking sitcom. You uh, were famously asked in a way to tone it down for the show. And I run into this problem when I'm trying to be me. Sometimes I'm asked to adjust who I am a little bit, even when I'm portraying myself. And Mm -hmm. I was wondering what you learned from that about where to draw lines, where to say, "Mm, I'm changing this, but I won't change this. It's hard to know. It's hard to know because it's like, autonomy as an artist is like something that we're growing. Like, so to figure out what those boundaries are, it's like, where can I be flexible? Where Mm -hmm. am I rigid? Um, It's hard to know. And I think like in certain spaces, we can really feel like unabashed, like in stand-up comedy, you can do whatever, which is what I love about stand-up comedy is that you could just totally be yourself and do whatever. And it's your show and it's your job. But um, in other spaces, like in network television, um, it's more stringent. Or if you're on a streaming platform, it's definitely looser. Um, I think it's something like trying to figure out where you feel comfortable with those boundaries. When I was doing All American Girl, like I didn't know what my boundaries were. I was very new in television. Yeah. I didn't know what was going on. And television was very different then. At that time, we only really had four networks and Fox had just started. Yeah. So it was a really different time, um, which, um, you know, now I have more of an understanding of television, but then I really didn't. And so learning about where we are historically too helps. Um, but I think it's really like you have to sort of mark out for yourself, like, where am I comfortable? Where am I good changing? Where am I not? Where am I um free. So, um, and stand-up comedy is ultimately the choice where I feel really good being a comic. Cause that's where you can be the most yourself and most free. Yeah, no, that's very true. I think that, um, we talked to another great comic may soon. Um, and she said that she gravitated towards comedy because when she looked at the people on the mic, they were people that didn't usually have a place or their opinion wasn't usually heard elsewhere Mm -hmm. on television Mm -hmm. shows and comedy gave them 
a space that most right. other fields wouldn't. And so she could be mm-hmm. um, a person with a disability. She could be mm-hmm. Palestinian. She could yeah. be a woman and yeah. still carve out a space for herself if she was funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 She's great. I love her. No, absolutely. So today you are, I mean, you are a household name. And I wonder if people approach you and tell you what your comedy has meant to them and kind of what that experience is like for you. It's really exciting. I mean, I love it. Like it's very fulfilling. And the best part I think is that, um, People have taken my work and let it inspire them to be comedians. And that's the best, you know? So if you could take what I did and make that like something that helped you feel encouraged to do your work, that's like the greatest achievement. So I love it. And I'm, I'm, I'm in like a really good space of, um, I think in, in terms of like my work or fame or whatever, that it's, it's really gratifying. If there are young women who are listening, particularly young women, but, but all of our listeners who want to launch a career in stand-up comedy, what are some of the things that you wish you knew when you were first launching it that you're like, if I had known that then it would have made things a little bit easier or it would have been a really good guide for me. Oh, that um, we belong, that new voices belong and that new voices are part of the conversation. They have to be. And just starting isn't a place to feel like you don't belong. You do. New voices are absolutely important to the conversation. You absolutely belong. Even in the very, very beginning, especially because of the very, very beginning, you know, because you're going to be the future of it. Mm-hmm. So just to start it and do it and not to be afraid. Um, I think knowing that would have made all the difference for me because I was just so like afraid, but I was so young. Um, I thought I didn't belong, but actually it was like the best thing to start as young as I did. And, yeah. You know, um, I think to know that your opinion, your voice matters and it has value. Um, that's really vital. And I think that's everything. Yeah. And you're kind of making me think of something as far as belonging. I think a lot of people think that they're going to walk into an open mic night and be the misfit because you're the worst one there. And Mm -hmm. I guarantee you will not be. There is always someone that's terrible and they could go (laughs) right before you and everyone will laugh with relief. So there's a space for you. Don't worry about being, uh, a star and excellent at first too. I feel like. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a space it's for you, fine. just where you are. Yeah. There's a space for you ever, wherever you are. And, you know, it's okay to be the worst. It's okay to be, to be the best. It's okay to be in the yeah. middle. It's okay to be in every space. Mm-hmm. Cause you will end up being in every space. It, 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 in a life in comedy sort of contains every, every, everything. Yeah. Yeah. So you're out there on the road, you're touring again. It's so wonderful. I see that you're in, in my hometown a couple of times. And um, I want to know what's the next dream for you? What's something you want to do as this world is opening up? And um, I would like to do um, more television. I would like to get 
also behind the camera more. Okay. And doing some producing, which I'm starting to do more. Um, I would just like to be uh, more active within the world of um, performing, acting, producing. Um, That to me is very vital. Um, So, yeah, it's exciting. I'm kind of entering my Joan Collins phase. So I'm getting to be like sort of guest starring in a prestige position in every show. Like, so I, and I just did a movie um, with Jill Kim Booster and Bowen Yang that's coming out this summer called uh, Fire Island, which I love. So I'm very excited about it. Perfect for you. It's a beautiful film. (laughs) It's a beautiful uh, gay Asian reimagining of Pride and Prejudice, which I think is really awesome. And we had such a great time moving it. Yeah. Moving. We're going to look out for that. Doing it. So yeah, it's great. Wait, I, I, before we part ways, I can't believe I didn't ask you about your participation in the most important television series ever created, Drop Dead Diva. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that show. My favorite thing. Um, can you can you say, did you did you love doing that show? Was that a, a great I loved it. One of my, I, had I was a great, so addicted. I love that show. I had a great time. Um, we became very close. The cast and I really became close and we were all living in Atlanta, which I really love as well. Um, I think, uh, you know, it's interesting to be on a procedural because you're um, solving these cases. It's a very specific type of television, which is really cool. Um, And I, I really love shows like that. And we had a great time and I learned a lot about acting. I learned a lot about going back and playing the same character for seven years. That's a totally trippy thing you know as an actor you're often doing character for a certain time but when you keep on going back and playing that it's a very different experience so um i had a blast but i i'm trying to remember all the houses and apartments i lived in during that time and i could not visualize one of the bathrooms and i'm really having trouble i'm like what are the bathrooms i'm like where was the bathroom in that place like i still can't remember (laughs) but I'm sure I'll remember at some point. <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking to us today. Um, it's it's a big honor for me because um, you were kind of my introduction to stand up comedy. I was like, I was I didn't know that you could get stand up comedy on a CD. Um, yeah. And my one of my friends in high school was like, "Listen to this." I was like, y- "You can just sit in the car and laugh and." Um, then that sort of got me interested in the entire stand-up world. So I, and I think for a lot of comedians and a lot of people who love stand-up comedy, you have been that, that introduction. And so we all thank you. We all thank you, Margaret. Well, I thank you. Thank you. Okay, Caitlin, that was our interview for today. That was such a fun one. She's so like quote-unquote normal you know what I mean yeah I mean because I think there's two kinds of comedians there are the comedians like Margaret Cho who are like hey listen it's an interview let me just tell you about my life and then there's like uh Reezy uh Marie (laughs) Boston who's like and another joke joke." like they can't help it you know what I mean so yeah I like I love that we got to talk to Margaret about her life and things that I've heard about in comedy as jokes but then realize oh my god they come from her actual life you know what I mean yeah, yeah. I think that's why she's so beloved. It's all it's all real stories and relatable stuff that has happened to a person, you yeah. know? So it's really easy to connect with her. Yeah. She just opens up her heart to 
to you to look at and laugh along with her and you find out that you have so much in common with her and what you don't like you love getting to hear about the weird stuff that she's been through so yeah i don't know i had a i had a really good time we got to ask about drop dead diva the greatest show it is so underappreciated and i feel like anyone we bring it up to they're like what are you talking about i'm like you need to look it up immediately yeah i feel like so many people haven't heard about it it's a it's a diamond in the rough you know (laughs) (laughs) so anyway love this interview can't wait to see fire island which sounds like a dream project for her like queer asian romance like she's like come on it's it's a it's a what do you call it it's a shoe in it's a Slam dunk. It's, it's a, a slam, slam dunk. dunk. A shoe in. <laughs> a shoe. It's a shoe in. It's a slam dunk. Anyway, clearly, we need a break. I've slurped down my whole coffee, and uh, we'll be back in just a minute. Okay, Kratlin, we are back. Now it is time to close out the show. But first of all, I want to say this again. If you liked your time with us today, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. We love reviews. In fact, we love them so much, we're going to read some of our favorite reviews right here at the end of the show. Okay. Caitlin, on tour, we've been meeting some amazing people who submit reviews, and we adore them. So let's see what our review is today. One of our friends out there in the world giving us love. Okay, this one is from someone named David. And he rated it five stars. Which is very important. The st- star at stars rating. Star, star, I'm having a stroke. Star, five star, five star, star rating. Um, I am so grateful you make such a positive and uplifting podcast. I really love that you love trees and animals. Which, which we do. Because I, too, think nature is so special and ought to be protected. My favorite part I look forward to is the good news segment. Torn from Z headlines. <laughs> Torn from Z headlines. <laughs> LOL. Caitlin is such a great co-pilot. And Cracker is the fiercest, most kindest drag queen ever. The guests are always interesting and well-selected, and the interviews feel extremely professional with lots of good questions. Thank you for all your hard work putting this podcast together. It really is a bright light in a sometimes dark world. Your podcast helped me a lot to feel happy, especially during quarantine. Much love and take care. It's a that, nice one. That's so nice. I especially love how he wrote out the Z. Torn form, from the headlines. From the headlines. Yeah. So see, someone is appreciating that you can physically cannot make yourself say that any other way. You know Mm-mm. what I mean? It's 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 getting appreciated by uh, listeners like David. Yep. <laughs> and you know what? For all those of you who love the podcast, we love it too. It's been our baby. It's our dream for many years to do this. And uh, as we go forward and we do these next few episodes, I think we're going to only do the stuff that we love the absolute most so that we can keep that that shining quality that it's had this whole time. Yeah, you know? yeah. So anyways, Caitlin, I think you know what it's time for. Your favorite part. That's right. <laughs> it's time for the credits. This podcast was produced by Caitlin Gretham, and then I did it. The cast includes me, and also Kratlin, and it is distributed by the amazing Studio 71. So, thank you for joining us today. Make sure to tune in next Monday for another exciting episode, or some Monday. You, you get it. Uh, you know, you, you, we, we'll, we'll, we'll be around. 
we live on the wild side and we don't know, you know, every day is a new thing. (laughs) We're not a deadbeat dad. We're that fun aunt that sometimes show up to your birthday, like, with the, like, she's like. Right, she's like, I bought you an Xbox. And you're like, whoa, (laughs) you're amazing. (laughs) You're occasional, but you're incredible. (laughs) So... Tune in some Monday for another exciting episode. And remember, if you ever feel down, all you have to do is look in the mirror and say, She's a woman! And I'll be with you. Hi, Caitlin, I've got so much caffeine. I know. Coursing through my body. Uh, do you feel good about this episode? I do. I feel like uh, the longer it goes, the more unhinged we get. And that's, that makes that's it better. The real, you're seeing the real us. <laughs> Ah, so true.